The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I just conveying the name. Well, there you go. Here's another name you may need to look up. The book of Philemon. How many of y'all are struggling to find the book of Philemon? It's okay to admit that. My wife was struggling, and I love her. But if you are looking for the book of Philemon, it is page 1,000 in your blue book in front of you, or it's right before the book of Hebrews, the book of Philemon. Or if you are a very accented person, I heard someone say this week, the, the book of Philemon. Uh, not quite. It's Philemon, but it's a, it's a good southern stab at it. You know, this morning we're continuing our walk through the gospel-centered church. We've been through the small books of Second and Third John in recent weeks. Now we're in the book of Philemon until the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We'll be here for three weeks or so. And today's topic is called Four Building Blocks of Forgiveness in the Gospel-Centered Church. And, you know, has anyone ever forgiven you before? Maybe you're a person who you've never had to been forgiven of, and great for you, but... Uh, most of us, this sermon is probably for us. And if you've never done that, this sermon is really for you. And for, because forgiveness is a strange topic today, I think you may agree with that. I want to give you a quote, a very heady quote from a Dr. David Wells. I want to go ahead and throw this up on the screen here. But Dr. Wells had this to say about forgiveness. And it's very, you read it a couple times, but here's what he said. He said, those who inhabit this self-world look only for therapy and not for forgiveness and re regeneration. Recovery, in fact, is their way of speaking about regeneration. It's all about human technique and not about miraculous intervention. That's why he gets paid the big bucks to write those weird words, right? But, you know, one thing I'm sure of, at least on a personal level, that Dr. Wells misses is that forgiveness and the issues surrounding it can be erased and can be replaced. He's saying, basically, they cannot be. You know, we often speak about forgiveness and nursing a grudge, holding, uh, uh, holding a grudge or even growing to love our resentments. And we can hold those very close to our heart, can't we? When we don't want to forgive someone, it's like a, that thing, that jewel, the ring in Lord of the Rings, if you've ever seen the movie or read the book. And we feel it's sometimes unjust and even wrong to forgive people in some circumstances. And so we wouldn't want to do them the injustice, so to speak, of forgiving them. Maybe you have those thoughts. For many, personal experience affords examples of forgiveness that are difficult, even wrenching and sometimes impossible to forgive. Matt, thank you for reading Psalm 130 uh, today because our big verse of the week is simply this. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Friends, there are, in fact, religions and philosophies today that teach that such forgiveness is wrong. I am grateful that God does not look at me in Christ and hold my sins against me. Amen? According to the Bible's presentation of life, we can't get away from the need of forgiveness in this fallen world. We feel it from our jobs, to our friendships, to our family, from our marriages. We know that we do wrong, and we know that we need forgiveness from others in a fallen world, and that we must grow in our ability to forgive others. But how do we do that? That's the big idea for today. 
as straightforward as it is, it's simply this. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness in Christ, the quicker you will be able to forgive others, whether they're Christian or whether they're not. And as we study this passage, I pray you'll be helped to understand and to forgive, and if you need it, to find forgiveness today, especially if you're struggling whether you should forgive someone. We're going to look at four building blocks of forgiveness today. They're simply this. We're just going to walk through the book of Philemon, and uh, here they are. I'll just throw them at you. Number one, we're going to look at forgiveness in the context of the church. What does it look like as a church body to forgive? Then secondly, and there's that word again, the foundation of the gospel, because that's all we're about here. Third, the practice of prayer. We'll see the building block of forgiveness. And finally, the necessity of love. Your pastor made a mistake, and I will ask for your forgiveness for this, if I may. I actually told you last couple weeks that 3 John was the shortest book of the New Testament. That is actually incorrect. Philemon is the shortest book, according to the Greek, of that. Will you forgive me? Thank you. I appreciate that. It's good preparation for our sermon, folks. Paul is preparing to ask Philemon to forgive his slave, Onesimus. Onesimus had run away from Philemon. He had become a Christian under the preaching of the word by Paul. And now Paul is asking Philemon, the slave owner, to let back his brother Onesimus into the fold. And Paul doesn't even mention that situation here this morning. Paul's plowing the ground. And he's preparing it to ask Philemon to accept this slave, Onesimus, back into the fold. And he's preparing to ask Philemon to do something even greater, harder to do, to forgive him. And so we're going to look at those four building blocks today. And a little back history of this book. This book was written around AD 60. Nero, who was the crazy guy on the throne. If you know anything about Nero, anyone ever heard that name before? I don't mean to be graphic, but Nero used to burn Christians as party candles in his garden. I mean, if that doesn't set a picture of how crazy this Roman emperor was, Paul was writing during this time. And so for Paul to write even a Christian letter was one thing, and for him to write from prison was another. But here's how the Bible in verse summarizes the whole letter. Paul greets Philemon and all at his place. He praises their conduct and wishes them grace. He pleads for Onesimus, calling him a son. He pledges to right any wrong that he has done. Thank you for the ever good man in Chuck Swindoll for that great poem. But Onesimus had run away. He had run away from his responsibility, even as a slave, to his master. He had heard the gospel, he had been saved, and now he wants to be forgiven by his master, Philemon. It's a tough call. We'll find out how he did it today. But let's stand for the reading of God's word as we do this. Seven verses today. Seven big verses today. Uh, We're going to break this up. I said over three weeks, and that'll be our call. Seven verses today. Be reading out of the new, I'm sorry, the English Standard Version this morning. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because your hearts, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
four building blocks of forgiveness today. Let's go before the Lord as we look at another mark of a gospel-centered church this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are ever grateful that the greatest forgiveness that we need is found only and through and in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning for anyone who may be nursing a grudge. Maybe it's not even someone in this church. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a boss. Uh, Father, someone who hurt them in their past, I don't know. But, Father, I would pray that as the gospel has penetrated our hearts to forgive, that we would see forgiveness through the lens of how you forgive us. Father, that doesn't mean, of course, that it's a free pass for anyone to do anything against us at any time. And certainly there are consequences for things done against us. But, Father, in our heart of hearts, knowing we're forgiven in you, may we seek forgiveness as much as is possible, as Romans twelve seventeen says, to your glory and to your honor. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Give us wisdom this morning as we study. And, Father, keep our eyelids open, our minds attentive, and our ears very open to what you may say this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it is a very interesting book. Philemon was a very rich owner of the time, a slave owner, and he is mentioned nowhere else in all of the New Testament. Nowhere else at all. But he seems to be a member of the Church of Colossae, where we get the New Testament book of Colossians. You'll notice there in verse 1, if you go back there, or verse, uh, sorry, yeah, verse 2, there's the, the name Athia. It's a feminine name. This is probably, most likely, Philemon's wife. Uh, And you also see another name under there, I believe I'm saying this correctly, Archippus. Archippus is also mentioned in Colossians 4. This is a male name. Just trying to do logic here, but most commentators believe that Philemon, the slave owner, is married to Athia, his wife, and they have a son, Archippus. And this letter of Colossians was probably delivered with Philemon, or Philemon with Colossians. And we know this because verse 2 says they met in in the church in your house. Did you notice that in verse 2? Philemon's hosting a church in his house. So if you didn't raise your hand for the snow weather cancellations, you you need to raise your hand on that one, just so you know. But you see, in the New Testament, friends, as we look at the context of the church and forgiveness in the church, churches weren't determined by where they got together as much by the fact that they did regularly get together as a church. Does that make sense? The location didn't matter. It's how they got together. In some places of the New Testament, they met in the Hall of Tyrannius, which was a rented-out place in Ephesus. Sometimes they met in an open field, like we studied in Philippians a few months ago. Or it was a house or a room or a, a cow's pasture, whatever it was. But this was at Philemon's house. This church was literally in his house, and it was probably in Colossae. And if you visited a church recently, hopefully you heard someone say something like this as we did this morning. Welcome to this meeting. This is the gathering of fill-in-the-blank church. Friends, we must understand that we are the church, most fundamentally. We are the church, and we don't need a building or any building in order to be the church. If this building, as terrible of a thought as well, if this building were swept away in those winds Wednesday night, because it almost felt like it was going to, you can remember the winds, right? If this building were to go, friends, that doesn't mean we're not a church anymore. We have to be able to assemble, but where we assemble is not the crucial matter. The matter is this, and this is the first application point. The church should be Jesus' evangelism plan. Jesus' evangelism plan. Christian friend, if you are trying to find a way to witness at work, have you thought about how often that we don't invite people to church? 
how about using the church as a platform to be able to share the gospel with people? You know, Southern Baptists, many of you who are old Southern Baptists, we used to have invite a friend Sunday. I don't know if we still do that. You can invite a friend any Sunday. Please do. And the, the, the reason we do that is because they get to see the gathered people coming together as a church, as one body. And I can think, maybe this is your story, of more than one person in my life who I have heard of come to Christ because someone simply invited them to church. Or simply they saw how Christians loved one another in the church. But here in the New Testament, we see very clearly that churches met in houses. What were they there to do? It was not a building, it wasn't about a religious exercise, and it wasn't a political organization. They intended to read God's word and pray. Did we do that this morning? Yes. They intended to sing and be instructed in the word. Did we do that this morning? Yes. They intended to obey Jesus' command to baptize and celebrate his Lord's Supper. We hopefully will be doing that soon. But they were brought together simply by their shared faith in Christ. And so this was written to a church. You notice there, if you go down to verse, uh, verse 4, it's not in the, the section we're in. But you see that word you in verse 4, if you're looking there. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. It's like Paul is writing to Philemon, but that you there is y'all. It's plural. It means the whole church. Paul is writing to Philemon, but he wants the whole church to hear what he's going to tell him. And so this is what you might call a semi-private letter. It's like a Facebook post. When I post on someone else's Facebook, it's not very private. Everyone who can, is my friend or their friend can see it. But to have those around us like Paul saying, look, you are a church. This is where you belong. Friends, your life is not just in a vacuum here at this church. Your life is important for the church to function, important for the church to witness. And God knows that because he made us that way for each other. That's why, second application point, we are saved individually. You are saved not by your parents' faith, or you are saved by you repenting by God's grace to Christ. But we are then brought into a church. And the church is full of relationships with real people with whom we flesh out what it means to live out for this invisible God. And friends, this is how you grow as a Christian here in this church. You commit yourself along with others to Christ. You cultivate relationships. You get down deep and dirty with other people, with where they're at in life. And you let them, and here's the hard part for some of you, you let them get to know you. Some of you, that's hard. Because forgiveness may have to come along with that. So Christian, you realize you have both a personal need for and a responsibility to a local congregation. And not just in often attending, but in committing yourself to a local church. Friends, we live in a consumer society, don't we? There, you've already seen the top ten to toy list. Uh, many of you have seen those things come out, and that's going to change. I remember when Tickle Me Elmo was popular. If you don't know what Tickle Me Elmo is, Google it. You can figure it out quick. But, friends, this if you're a Christian, you're a visitor here today, we're so glad you're here. But please do not buy into American Christian mentality that says this church has this, 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 and this. Therefore, I'm going there. Go to a church that preaches the word, shares the gospel, lives out all the things that a church should be. That's where you root yourself. And that could be a mega church. It could be a church much smaller even than Tower View. But the question is, are you committed to that church? Because, friends, in that church context, under the gospel, is where you will find forgiveness in relationships as you seek to glorify God together. And, Christian, 
We said it often, but a mark of a gospel-centered church are godly relationships. This is the third application point. Godly relationships prepare you for the trials you do not know are even coming. How many of you can raise your hand and testify that you know there's been a time in your life you have leaned on your church family more than your own family, coworkers, friends, whatever? Anyone, can anyone do that? Most congregations' hands go up. If you wait for those hard times to come, and they will, it's too late to build those relationships. So, Christian, can I ask you this morning, are you building the types of relationships that will help you endure, that will help you persevere, that will help you go through trials, to grow as a Christian, to, to harness the energy to help others in their lives? Because you see where forgiveness comes from. It comes from knowing others in deep relationship. But even when you're deep with someone, you can be offended. Even when you've known someone for many years, a small word can be said that can turn around the ship of the friendship. But the question is, are you doing it in the context of a church where as you look to Christ for forgiveness, you will want to forgive others? Now, I read a story about an old-timer uh, that made the following observation. A lot of my illustrations lately have been about old-timers. So uh, you can make fun of the young pastor later, please. But the old-timer said it this way, and I think it's very wise. Good friends are sometimes God's apology for giving us some of our relatives. That's good advice. And it wasn't an old-timer from our church. That was another old-timer. But Christians, you need to build these relationships now in the context of the church before you need them. Don't wait. Look, if you're in a pickle and you don't know many people in the church, by all means, reach out to us. We are always here and available. But to know people deeply... They will be here to help you forgive and to help you receive forgiveness, however else God would grow you as a Christian. So that's the first block is forgiveness is found in the context of a church. Second is this. It's found in the foundation of the gospel. Look back at verses 3 and 4 with me, if you will. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God when I always when I remember you in my prayers. So we see the context of the church and the foundation of the gospel. Friend, that phrase, grace and peace, if you're a Christian, this should just excite you to no end. It's a very common way to begin a letter. It's like saying, dear John. You know, you just look at it and you say, that's not that important. But we find this in Revelation, First and Second Peter. Really in all of Paul's letters, he opens with grace and peace. And Timothy, he inserts mercy in between grace and peace, but usually it's all there. Now, what does this mean? Well, Grace was a Greek greeting. It was a, a, a Greek greeting. Shalom, many of you have heard that worm, word, is the Hebrew word for peace. Grace, uh, karis, and peace, shalom. Grace is the mercy of God, is how we've come to peace with God and each other. He says it's by God's grace that you have been saved, and it's through that that you now have peace with God. And it's a profoundly Christian greeting. It's profoundly, distinctly in Christ alone, like Paul was here. If you're not a Christian here today, I want to make sure you understand this. And uh, because this is the most important part of the sermon, perhaps, mercifully for you, it's coming at the very beginning. But if you're here today, and Blake, thank you for sharing this song, that even if you think, God, I've sinned so many times that I cannot be forgiven, friends, this reminds us that that is not true. First application point is this, if you're not a Christian here today. The doctrine of grace and redemption keeps us from seeing any person or any situation as hopeless. That's why we can pray for ISIS 
thousands of miles away, that in God's sovereignty he may raise up a bold, proclaiming Christian, even at the cost of his or her life, to know Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, here's the good news. The good news is, is that there's one and only God. He's holy, and he's made us in his image to know him. And that's a blessing. But we have sinned. We've broken his law, and we've been cut off from him. But in his great love, God became a man in Christ Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He fulfilled the law and taking on himself the punishment for the sins who, for whoever would trust him and, and, and believe in him. And he rose again on the third day, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that God's wrath had been extinguished like a red fire extinguisher to a fire. He now calls you, non-Christian, if you're here today, to repent and trust him alone for forgiveness of your sin. If we repent and trust, we are born again in new life, eternal life with God. If you're a Christian, not a Christian here today, that is the gospel. But if you are a Christian here today, when you hear those words, grace and peace, I want your heart to jump for joy. Now, you can jump in a Baptist church occasionally. That might get you some weird looks. But in your heart of hearts, in your sides, jump. Grace and peace. Friends, we have a testimony of God. He has given us grace in Christ so we can have peace with him. You remember Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive, folks, what? Our debtors. Can you imagine the arrogance of a Christian not wanting to forgive someone? Can you imagine the pride it takes of someone who says they understand they sinned against Almighty God, and he's forgiven me, but I won't forgive that person, whatever that person did to me. My non-Christian friend, have you also done anything to think about your need for God's forgiveness? What would it mean for you to be forgiven by God? And It's not a medical thing. It's not an economic thing. It's not a video game thing that you can hit continue and just hitting that. You want to play again? Yes, yes, yes. Our estrangement from God is only solved through the work of Christ. There's no easy button. There's no, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. There's no, uh, I was one, what was that Geico, the caveman commercial? Uh, it's so easy a caveman could do it. Friends, it is only through Christ that you are saved. And that is the foundation for our forgiveness vertically and horizontally as well. Also notice Paul is specifically praying that these great blessings would be on Philemon. He says, he, look here, he says in verse 3, he says, the you there is plural, but the rest of the time he's talking to Philemon. He's telling this church, look, church, I'm writing a letter to Philemon to forgive Onesimus, but it's going to start with all of you. I'm writing it to him, but it remains with all of you. It's got to start with you. But notice in verse 4 what he also says, the first part, he says, my God. Friends, this is why we go verse by verse, because you can miss some great stuff. My God. Christian, I want you to pause for a moment and appreciate this. Think about that. Paul's saying, my God. Do you know that pagans back in the day would stand up and pray publicly, and they would use every name under the sun, hoping that someone would answer them? It's kind of like going, I, I can't think of the analogy. It's kind of like when you can't remember someone's names, so you just say five names that don't make any sense and hope it's one of them. Uh, no, none of you have ever done that, I'm sure. But Christians, we get to pray simply, directly, and personally. My God, my God. And friends, that's the second application point here. Unity in our church will only be real and lasting when it is a byproduct of the steady-eyed pursuit of truth. Friends, if we forget that we are 
the only ones with the one true God. You say, well, Darren, every religion says that. Oh, yes, they do, but not every religion has a man who died and came back again. Not every religion has a man who rose from the dead and is coming again. The last time I checked, with respect, Muhammad is in the grave. Mary Eddie Baker's in the grave. Uh, Joseph Smith is in the grave. And friend, every person who has ever tried to say, I am God, is in the grave. But our God through Christ lives on. He's not the God of our city. He's not just the God of our country. He's not the God of our class, our profession. But he is the one true God. It is my God. And by extension, it is our God as a church. My Christian friends, we want to be clear on the gospel. Because that is the foundation for forgiveness. The only way we can say, my God, is because Christ has forgiven us. And that's the last application point of this point. We want to both define and delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have to be clear on the gospel. We have to be clear on the gospel here. But we also have to delight in the gospel. Don't become so in the sand that you forget to jump in your heart. Some of you are still jumping in your heart on your faces, and that's good. Some of you are going to be jumping in the aisles before too long. But friends, you need to know... That if you find a church or a preacher or anyone that doesn't like that statement, stay away. I understand you can turn sermons into dry, boring lectures. I get that. Pastors fight that every Sunday. How do we make it interesting, engaging, but stay biblically faithful? But someone who says they don't like the message of God's judgment, don't like the message that Jesus is the only way, boy, stay away from them. I put four exclamation points on my notes. Stay away from them. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Does that make sense? Church, pray that your congregation here would delight in being careful in sermons and preaching. And if we are, praise God for that. But pray for our worship team as they lead songs. It is hard. I, I, you know, I know this. Is, it's hard to find songs that are, are, are engaging scripturally because there's not a lot out there today, to be quite honest. Friends, there's a lot of things we listen to and hear that are not always there. But in the hymns and songs that we sing, thank you, worship team, for leading us in a gospel-centered way. Friends, if you're a Christian here today, your forgiveness starts with your own remembering that it is through the grace and peace of God and by allowing God through Christ, allowing him for you to say, my God, that you are forgiven. That is the second building block to peace. Third is this. You have the context of the church, foundation of the gospel, Thirdly, another topic, the practice of prayer. Look back at verses 4 and 5 with me. Paul says this. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and the saints. You know, you, how many of you have heard the word or the phrase intercessory prayers? Anyone ever heard that before? Probably most of you have. It's very common. But intercessory prayer is just something that means you stop and you take time to ask God to do things for others. And Paul does this all the time. Paul mentions in verse 4, he remembers Philemon in his prayers. What a challenge that is. How often, even as a pastor, I say, I'm going to pray for you. And the next Sunday, I see that person. And what did I not do? Didn't pray for him. Maybe you don't have that happen. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you have never had that happen. But friends, it's a very real struggle in a busy time. But what is the basic purpose of prayer? Here's the first application point Amy's going to throw up on the screen. The basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will, God's plan to mine, but to mold my will and my plan to his, into his. Non-Christian friend, I wonder how that sounds to you, to be quite honest. Does it sound strange? Because I think it probably does. 
I mean, do you, do you do this? Do you spend time praying for other people, hoping that they will become more like you? Do you spend time praying? And with whom do you pray to if you're not a Christian? If you don't understand yourself to a Christian, who are you talking to? What are you talking to? Christian friend, can I ask you, do you pray for others? Like today, let's just say by yourself, who do you pray for? Just take a moment and think in your own head, who do you pray for yourself today? Maybe if you're married, you pray for your family or your kids or your grandkids. or uh, Who did you pray for before you came to church? Maybe on the way or here. Did you pray for people only in your family? Did you pray for people who are most like you and me? Americans? Are we only praying praying for other Americans? Are we praying for our Asian brothers in China right now who are facing persecution every day? Are the Asian brothers praying for us in comfortable America? Ladies, have you spent time praying for men of the church this morning or this week? Men, have you led the way by praying for the ladies? I think honestly, as we look at the practice of prayer, I think we're tempted to only or mainly pray for those who are in situations like us or who are like us. Is that a fair statement? We should pray regularly, though, folks, for the people in our congregation, whether they're red or yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Maybe especially for those especially who aren't like us. Christian, you say, I want a way to witness at work. Friend, have you gone up to your coworker and asked them the simple question, how can I pray for you? Have you ever told someone at work that you're praying for them? Let's be real. That is an awkward conversation. Would you agree? Not an awkward conversation? See, I think it is. I think if you go up to someone and say, I'm praying for you, most of them will look at you and say, you did what? Yeah, I prayed for you. You want a way to open a door, though, pray for them. They don't know who you're praying to. Eventually, that'll become clear, but don't just say it in a sarcastic tone like, well, I'm praying for you, and you can pay me later. <laughs> no. If you say it humbly, just like you would mean something sincerely, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Or it can even be, how can I pray for you? That is a great way to witness at work. Open a spiritual conversation. No one's usually going to deny prayer. We have knocked on doors for years in evangelism. Most people are not going to deny prayer. They just want help in whatever situation. But that is a way eventually, by God's grace, to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say another word along the prayer lines as we kind of go through this. I, I think it's considering even this brief prayer, we see thanksgiving in this. Did you see how Paul referred to his prayer here? Look back at verse 4. He said, I thank my God always. I thank my God. That's active tense. This is typical of Paul. He always wants to thank God for people in his life. Maybe that's how you start witnessing at work is saying, I'm praying for you. I'm just thankful for you being you. You know, and they may need to change, friends. They may need to know the gospel, but aren't you thankful God put them in your place? I'm thankful that you're here and I'm praying thanks to God. Church, how about us? Is thankfulness typical in our prayers? I think if we did a study of most prayer lists, that the prayer request would probably be 90 to 10 against praises. And if you've been around prayer lists, you know what I mean. Or our prayers just are laundry list. You know, thankfulness is accurate because God has answered prayer in so many ways. Thankfulness is also helpful because it reminds us to notice God's kindness. And Paul is encouraging Philemon here in the fact that he's praying for him. Paul had probably been praying for him preparatory prayer, saying, God, I don't know how Philemon's going to accept Onesimus back, but I'm praying that you would soften his heart. I'm thankful, Lord, for Philemon, but give him a soft heart. That's our next application point is simply this. Thankfulness is wanting 
what you have. Thankfulness is wanting what you have. Contentment is not wanting more. And Paul had both. Paul had both. Christian, have you considered all the serious theology that is packed into thanksgiving? It acknowledges God is the author of all good. It acknowledges that God is the center of everything we do. And Paul is thanking God because God is the author of Philemon's faith and his love. And that's going to be important later as Paul, later in the letter, will ask him to forgive Onesimus. Friends, do you ever find yourself thinking of your prayer essentially a time of asking God? God, I need this. God, I need that. Uh, Natalie, I, I think she'll remember this, but we had, a, we had a youth one time at our last church who had not studied for a test. Raise his hand, a sixth grader. I think you know who I'm speaking, babe. And he said, I want God to give me an A. And the next question was, have you studied? Nope, God can do miracles. Yeah, amen, God can do miracles, boy, but you need to study and get, your, get all brushed up on that stuff. God has done so much for us and much more than we could have ever asked or thought. And friends, do we thank God for his kindness in our lives? Have you thought it's Thanksgiving season, it's seasonal, but in the middle of March when it's rainy and dreary, have you thought God for all the things he's done in your life, even the simple things? How many prayers that you prayed earnestly last Monday have been answered or back in the spring or when I was five years old in 1989, did God answer your prayers? How did God answer your prayers for this church as you were looking for staff members? As we were praying for Blake, for Matt, and I'm not saying look at me, but as you were praying for a pastor, as you prayed for an interim pastor and Dr. McAlpin, those of you who were through that, the deacons, think of all the things God has done for you. And why is he giving thanksgiving? Look at verse 5 again. Because I hear of the love and faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Does what you hear about others cause you to thank God? Do you thank God for your Sunday school teacher? I know we ask kids to do that, but adults, are you thankful for the faithfulness of your teachers? Friends, one particular way I think we can encourage regular prayer around here and encourage a building block of forgiveness is by praying this right here. This is the last application point of this one. The church directory, if I can be so bold to say this, is the second most important book you can have in your life outside of the Bible. Say, what? That's right. Because you know what this allows you to do. And, and Dave Williams and I talked about this, and uh, we'll hopefully get some more detail, but as we're thinking about making a new directory soon. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of new staff. But friends, as you pray through this directory, you get a face with a name. And if you're struggling to pray for someone or to forgive someone, then this is a way that challenges you to pray. Uh, one goal I have in December is to make, uh, we'll, we'll announce this later on, we'd like to make a prayer list, a, a daily prayer list of names of people. So you can pray for someone on the first day of the month. We'll start in the A's. We'll go all the way down. Hopefully on, by the 30 or 31st of each month, we'll have a prayer for each person. But friends, this is here to help you get to know one another and pray for it. Say, so Pastor, where do I start praying? If you have a directory... Pray this directory. If you want a directory, you can have mine. We have plenty. Pray through it, because that is the way forgiveness is going to stand in this church for a long time. You know, I heard about a woman. Uh, you've heard that phrase, prayer changes things. Anyone ever heard that before? Uh, many of you may have the placards. I heard a funny story about this. Uh, a woman returned home with one of those placards that said, prayer changes things. And she later found that her husband had taken it down from above the fireplace. And so 
like any woman would do when a man interrupts her, her uh, decorating space, she got mad. And she sternly looked at him and said, don't you believe in prayer? And he replied, of course I believe in prayer. It's the change I can't stand. Think about that for a second. Friend, how is your prayer life today? Have you prayed for those in your life that you need to love more? Have you prayed for your enemies? Can I just say that? Jesus told us to pray for our enemies, whether that's militarily, whether that's relationally, whether that is whatever it is, pray for those who don't know Christ or may know Christ that you may consider your enemy. Okay, we're landing the plane. Last point. We've seen the con forgiveness starts in the context of the church, the foundation of the gospel, and the practice of prayer. And finally, uh, this is in verses 5, the latter half of 5 into 7, the necessity of of love. Let's read that together again. He says in verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I derive much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You know, faith without love is dead. Many of you have heard that phrase. Faith without works is dead. Same concept. Some translations of verse 5 here render love and faith as being about Jesus and all the saints. It seems that Paul is praying that the faith in Christ is the love for the saints. And this verse is very clear about sharing the faith. Many of you have, I've often quoted this in evangelism, that as we go out, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become more effective. But this is not just talking about evangelism here. In the context of, Paul is talking about the sharing of the faith with fellow Christians. Look, we should be praying every week, church, that our gospel would go forth. Pray for our website that gets hundreds of hits a month that the gospel would be clear. Pray for our Facebook, our Twitter, the social media aspect that our gospel would be clear. Pray as we go on Thursdays at 2.30. There's the plug as well. We go on Thursdays at 2.30. We're in Gracemore right now, knocking on doors, handing out gospel tracts, praying with people that the gospel would be clear. Pray that the effectiveness of our faith would be clear in Awana, Sunday school, men's ministry, the whole shebang. It would be clear. And in a sense, Paul is praying that evangelistically, that sharing the gospel is there, but he is praying most of all, that they would share the faith with fellow Christians. Paul is praying that. That they wouldn't be isolated islands out there by themselves, but they would see the necessity of love by loving on other Christians in that sense. You see, Paul didn't want Philemon to evangelize Onesimus, the slave. Onesimus was a Christian. He wanted him to care for Onesimus, to forgive Onesimus, and to treat as a Christian Onesimus and to be generous. Because that's where he was. Think about this. If you were a boss and one of your workers ran away from you and uh, it was some contractual obligation where they had to stay with you for a, uh, whatever amount of time and they run away and you never hear from them and they become a Christian, even though you're a Christian, would you not struggle to forgive that person? Be honest. Am I the only one? I think some of you would say, that's hard. That's hard to do. And so he... To share meant to share his faith in those ways. Friends, this is the first application point. Strong faith in a weak object is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong object. What I mean by that is this. Paul was praying that Philemon would have his faith so strong in Christ 
that no matter what Onesimus did, that he would see him as a brother in Christ and extend the grace and the peace and the forgiveness that Christ had given to him, Philemon. And that's what Paul's telling him here in verses 6 and 7. It is certainly true you do come to understand more fully everything we have together through evangelism, but he's praying that they would come together in the faith. Paul prays that Philemon would be effective in being generous. He prays that he would understand and experience all the good Christ has. But mostly he's praying that when that time comes, when Onesimus, this runaway slave, comes to Philemon, that he would practice love in forgiveness. And look at verse 7. He says there, uh, Paul acknowledges verse 7, but Philemon has been doing this thing already. Look back at verse 7. He says, he tells uh, Philemon, I've derived much joy and comfort because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul's a good writer. Paul knows that to ask for a big favor, not even a favor, ask for the, the gift of forgiveness, the extending of the hand of forgiveness to Onesimus, that he's going to have to speak truth into Philemon's life. Please do not take this as a buttering up or a, uh, you know, you know how some people have flattery. This is not Paul being flattering, saying, Philemon, you're the best Christian ever, and I know you're going to do what's right. No. Philemon was already doing this stuff. And he's just telling him, when this really hard situation, Onesimus comes in your life, Philemon, you need to step up to the plate and hit a home run of forgiveness in Christ. That's basically what he's telling him. That's why he calls him brother there in verse 7. He's calling him out. When you call me brother Darren, my ears perk up a little bit more. I just want you to know that. You say pizza, my ears go up some. But when you say brother, my ears go up even more. Because that's just not something you use every day. Paul is encouraged about Philemon, how he's already refreshed the saints. This is an image of an army resting after a march. Imagine a long battle and, and the resting. Paul doesn't specifically say how Philemon had done this. But he might have been hosting other Christians. We don't know. Friends, I think it's this. Last application point here is this. Philemon shows that true Christian gratitude rejoices not in how oneself is changed, but rejoices in the one who has changed you. Paul is calling Philemon not to look at all the good things God has done in his life and say, Woo, good for you, Philemon. He's saying when Onesimus comes... I want you to think of what God has done for you, for him, and for me in him. Friends, that's how when we hear about Christians in Paris and the Middle East, Sudan, Nigeria, China, Burma being persecuted, we understand that we are much more connected with them than we can ever think. We are to be fellow, we are not to be fellow Americans with them, we are to be fellow Christians with them. Pray for the nations. We have commonalities with fellow citizens, but we have even more commonalities in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Ask yourself today, is faith expressing itself through love in your life, Christian? Maybe you've been a member of this church for a while and you've just gotten cold-hearted. Cold would you pray that God would soften your heart? Christians, this is what we want in the workplace. I've mentioned the workplace at least two or three times now. We want to be Christians that are so contagious that when we are gone, people miss us. Not just because we get the job done, that might be part of it, but because fundamentally we are showing forth Christ in the love that we have for others. Maybe the same in your family. You know, many of you may come from families that you are the only Christian or, or just a few Christians. My family is that way. Natalie's family, in an extent, is that way. We have very few Christians, 
I have a lot of people who name Christ, but the question is, do they know Christ? Maybe you come from a tough family. Maybe you come from a family where everyone's a Christian, and it's hard to agree with them because everyone's a Christian. I don't know. But I do pray that your love is coming out in the forgiveness you've received in Christ through the love you show to others. David Platt, who's the president of our International Mission Board, and Becky uh, uh, will be sharing more about this in the coming weeks as we pray about how we can give to international missions. David Platt, a young guy, uh, is in charge of the International Mission Board. He said this about God's forgiveness, and it's up there on the screen for you. He says, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Let that sink in for a second. God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Friend, if you're here today and you say, I am beyond God's reach, even as a Christian, I can never be forgiven for what I've done, and I know Christ, would you take that to the cross? You're here today and you're not a Christian. Believe me, Christ can forgive you. He's forgiven me. He's forgiven everyone who's a Christian. He can forgive you. And that's why our big idea is this. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness in Christ, the quicker you will be to forgive others, whether they're Christian or whether they're not. Church, let's pray. These four building blocks are a mark of our church as we go forward. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity it is to be here this morning. Father, to know the truth of the gospel. Father, this is never an easy topic to preach through because, Father, it deals with some very real issues in real people's lives that are breathing souls right here in front of us. Father, I would pray for spouses if there's any resentment about small things that have been glossed over. There's big things that need to be settled. Would you give each spouse, married couple, Father, the grace to forgive? Father, I pray if there's any church relationships here at Tower View, Father, we are grateful for the unity the last several months, years even, that you have brought to this church. I pray if there's any seed that is there that has not been forgiven, Lord, would you bring that about? Father, I pray for non-Christians here, those who are seeking, thank you so much for bringing them here today and the love you have for them. Father, I pray that they would know the greatest gift of forgiveness found only in Christ. Father, would you be with our church as we go forward as a gospel-centered church? Father, I pray that this is very resonant here. Father, if there is an Onesimus in anyone's life today, a long-lost child, we're, for, we're praying for those whose children may have walked away from the faith or may never knew the faith or renounced the faith. Father, would you draw them back to you? But Father, may we, like the, uh, the man and the father and the prodigal son, Love them as you have seen love. Father, that doesn't mean consequences aren't there. It doesn't mean hurt's not there. Those are real things that you can heal. But Lord, would you help us to forgive as you have forgiven us and command us to do. Father, give us the grace to do it. It's easy to preach it. It's one thing to live it. But Father, by your grace, all things are possible. Give us more grace, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.